Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. I'm Molly. Now, Molly, you do remember, I hope, we did a episode recently on placentophagia. Oh, how could I forget that one? Yes. Basically, the idea of eating your placenta after you give birth. For super strength. For super strength and to ward off postpartum depression. You guys can, if you haven't heard it, give it a listen. But after that episode, we got in a few... Listener emails about cord blood, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of uh, umbilical cord blood comes from, is actually housed in the placenta. Mm -hmm. And these mothers have written in saying, hey, you didn't talk about cord blood. It's really important for you to possibly save that, that blood and bank it. Yeah. Because it has some pretty impressive properties. And when you guys talk, we listen. And thus, today's episode is Should You Bank Your Baby's Umbilical Cord Blood? Yes, because cord blood is a source of a specific type of blood-forming stem cell and can possibly cure a host of diseases, especially leukemia and and lymphoma. Mm -hmm. And cord blood derivative embryonic-like stem cells are similar to embryonic stem cells, but uh, far less controversial. Well, because you're using something that would have been thrown away anyway. Yeah. I mean, like the placenta can be a waste product at birth unless you think ahead and you're like, hey, doc, midwife, doula, whoever's down there, save that, save that cord blood. Save that cord blood because cord, cord blood is one of three sources for blood forming cells that can reconstitute someone's immune system, weakened immune system. And the other two sources are bone marrow and peripheral or circulating blood. But we should probably clarify that they are not just basic fetal stem cells. Like they're right. not going to grow you a new kidney if you need one. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a blood forming cell. Yes. Just to clarify. All right. So you have to decide if you're going to bank it before delivery because you only have about 15 minutes after the baby is born to get the collection of blood. What they'll do is they will clamp and cut the umbilical cord and then collect the blood. Um, and if you don't do that within 15 minutes, the cord will essentially clamp itself off from the exposure to air, and that blood is gone. And it's it's very easy, completely harmless to mother and baby. They will either basically attach a bag so that the bag fills up with the blood, or they will insert a syringe and draw the blood out, just like they would draw blood from your vein. Yeah, and then once it is collected, the cord blood will be frozen in liquid nitrogen <laughs> to preserve it. And you can either store the cord blood in a public cord blood bank or a private Cord blood bank. <laughs> and this is where things get kind of controversial. Yeah, if you decide to put it into a private bank, uh, you're going to have to pay for it. Not surprisingly. You're going to have to pay usually an initial fee of up to $2,000 and then an annual storage fee, which might be around 100 bucks a year. And some people think that this is wrong because these banks are making money off of cord blood, which if you donated it to a public cord blood bank, it could go to anybody who was in need of it. So why would you want it to be in a private bank? You'd want it to be in a private bank if you yourself thought you were going to use it. Basically, by putting it in the private bank, it's for you and no one else can have it. Yeah, because um, if you need, for instance, a autologous uh 
CBE stem cell transplant. Basically, if you need your own cells to, if you come down with some kind of disease or condition, uh, then you're gonna, you can go to your private bank and you've got your cord blood stored there. And no search for a match. It's just done. Because if you, if you watch a lot of medical shows like I do, it seems like people are always looking for that match. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are some shows where the woman will have a baby to get that cord blood to save another child. But the controversy comes because TV, like it does for many things, uh, makes it look like the situation is far more common than it actually is. Because the likelihood that you would need your own cells, according to a study in the journal Biology of Blood and Marrow Transplantation, is only about 1 in 435. Yeah, and um, I think we should also point out that these cord blood stem cells uh, have a more potential for wider use because as opposed to stem cells taken from adult bone marrow, a perfect match between the donor and the recipient isn't necessary. But other studies put it, those statistics at anywhere from 1 in 2,000 to 1 in 200,000, depending on whether your family has a history of a disease that's even treatable by CBE stem cells. Because, for instance, some parents mistakenly believe that their child could be treated with his or her own cord blood if they contract leukemia later on, but leukemic cells are present at birth, so the cord blood would therefore be tainted. Right, and... Even if you've got a sibling who's got cord blood banked, there's only a 25% chance of these cells between siblings being a match. So, And in some cases, the cord blood isn't even stored because it doesn't contain enough stem cells. Like There's Mm -hmm. some argument that um, if you are trying to get the cord blood for an adult, there's not even going to be enough stem cells in there to make a difference. You'd have to use it on a very small person, which gives you a a small window of, of time to use it. So really... When we were researching this, the private cord blood bank doesn't seem like the best deal. Yeah, and groups like the American Academy of Pediatrics do advise parents to donate their baby's cord blood to public banks. Mm -hmm. Because unlike, say, stem cells that are taken from adult bone marrow... With CBE stem cells, uh, you don't need a perfect genetic match between the donor and the recipient in order for the transplant to take. And this is... Very important, Molly and I learned, for particularly minority patients who need the transplants. So to clarify, when we're talking about these minority uh, cord blood donations, we're talking about public cord blood banks now. And if there's a public cord blood bank near you, it will pay for the collection kit, for the processing of the blood, the storage. It's completely free to the parents, but everyone can use it. It's not just saved for you. It's open to anyone. And the National Marrow Donor Program really advocates public cord blood banking, particularly to help out minority patients, uh, because cord blood doesn't need that as close of a genetic match as bone marrow stem cells. And uh, more than 40% of minority patients who receive a transplant now will use cord blood as opposed to only 5 to 15% of minority patients who could use uh, bone marrow transplants. So this is actually going a long way to to serve uh, these these minority patients for curing things like leukemia and lymphoma. Now, those are the two conditions that if you have a family history of them, if you have a family history of some blood-related disease, then those are really the only conditions where people say you might want to do private cord blood banking. Other than that, both that organization and the American Association of Pediatrics recommends public. Help yeah. out everyone. Help out everybody. So to answer our question, should you bank your baby's cord blood? I say yes. 
publicly. Publicly. Don't let those private banks talk you into a bad deal. Don't be selfish with that cord blood, people. Save some lives. Unless you're at risk for certain conditions. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay, so thanks to all the listeners who let us know about cord blood banking. It was very interested, interesting to um, look into it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, and it just goes to show that if you email us, you never know what will happen. We may dedicate an entire episode to it. Just to you. Just to you, listeners. All right, so let's do a few listener mails now. People who have emailed us at momstuffathowstuffworks.com. I'm going to start from one that is not signed, and it's from a, an old episode, but I think it's always good to remind our listeners of this kind of stuff. It's about our dating violence episode. Um, and the listener writes that she was in a bad situation that lasted for two years. Um, she did pull back from her friends more and more. Um, and at first her friends were like, oh, it's the bubble. It's the new romance bubble. But then she writes, my friends knew this guy wasn't good for me, especially when I quit my favorite job because he always wanted to spend more time together. I know I pushed my friends away, but they were still always there for me. My rugby team even encouraged me to crash at their places whenever I needed to. I honestly don't think I would have had the strength to move back with my parents and end things with the boyfriend if I hadn't had a great support system. I could still be in that city with him doing God knows what, having forgotten all about myself. Which brings me to my advice to listeners who suspect friends or acquaintances of being in an abusive situation. Please don't give up on your friends. They know deep inside that they need to leave their significant other and they still need friends outside of his or of his circle. But there's this overwhelming feeling of despair and hopelessness that surrounds them. A text or call from time to time and an invitation to go out, sleepovers, etc. Any and all of these helped me get through and know that I still had people outside my family who cared about me and wanted me to be okay. I know people in abusive situations can be hard to deal with, but please encourage your listeners to not give up on their friends. Okay, well, I have an email here from Laura, and it is on our episode on mail order brides. And she said, this podcast really piqued my interest because I know a woman who was a mail order bride. She came here from Russia with her sons four years ago to marry a man who lives down the street from me. My brother befriended her younger son, which is how I know this story. What happened was that probably within two years, she had divorced the farmer she had married, and she had gotten the house, which had originally been his. She then went to college, got her degree, and was teaching a course at the local community college and working at an elementary school. She now has a rich boyfriend and is moving into a nice condo in an even nicer area. I know not all cases work out like this, but she pretty much played the guy who quote-unquote bought her and definitely did not end up with the short end of the stick. Interesting mail-order bride anecdote. Interesting. One more mail-order bride anecdote? Sure. This is from Trisha, who writes, My great-grandmother was a mail-order bride at the turn of the last century. Her sister and brother-in-law had immigrated from Denmark to western North Dakota, where they settled. Some years later, a letter arrived from her brother-in-law asking for a bride, as the sister had become very ill and he needed help with the children and homestead. My great-grandmother left Denmark for North Dakota to care for her sister and nieces and nephews with the expectation of marrying her brother-in-law, who she didn't really know upon her sister's passing. My grandfather was her firstborn. The practicalities of homestead life required strong women. No man could manage without a partner, and they knew it. As a small child, I knew my great-grandmother, and she said that love and romance grew out of mutual respect. The needs and expectations of that time and place largely do not exist today. Importantly, I doubt that a man seeking a male order bride today does so from the real need for a partner. And there you have it. Very interesting. So again, the email address is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Uh, during the week, Kristen and I have a blog that we update. It's called How To Stuff. And it, along with the article, Should I Bank My Baby's Cord Blood, 
is located at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?